Hello friend, and welcome to the Let Me Play Project podcast. We're here again at kind of an ungodly hour in the morning, Sunday morning, which is release day, and we are recording this introduction. This is the latest slash earliest I've recorded, but I've been trying to only record when inspiration hits, and for whatever reason, the inspiration and the energy wasn't there to record until about a couple hours ago. So, here we are. I'm not recommending that approach, but it is the approach that I have been given, so we're making do with what we've got. It's actually completely appropriate that I have waited so long to record this introduction because this episode's word is companionship, and you might hear my friend in the apartment below me playing on his video game and streaming uh, very loudly and potentially aggressively throughout this introduction and also the, the outro as well. So if you hear any banging and screaming, it is, it is just, um, video game frustration, I assume. There's been a lot of synchronicity, I think, in the ways that these episodes have come out, and my focus on the weeks that I've been recording these intros, because this week I focused a lot on companionship. I only worked one day on my stand-in job this week, and it was last Sunday, which was great and a lot of fun, but they didn't need me for this week, so I had it off. And instead of working, I focused a lot on my physical training and also with connecting with people. This week I trained weightlifting, I took walks and stretched, I went to Aikido and saw some people there that I kept missing because I've been going to the smaller classes recently. I also went to Irish dance and then I was also able to go back to open gym for some gymnastics and partial Aikido training as well. So that was a lot of fun. and. It was nice to see people at each of those locations. I even made an unexpected friend at LA Fitness. I often use their studio space to practice some of my Irish dance stuff, so I bonded with somebody over their interest in dance as well, so that was fun. And aside from all of the training and the friendships that I made. There was also a lot of creativity this week. I went to go see the Batman and I worked on this podcast and I recorded another podcast and I had a lot of fun playing dress up for each of these occasions and also posing for some photographs. So days well spent, I think. Out of all the days this week, Saturday was definitely the most devoted to pursuing companionship. I got up and went to my Irish dance class, and it was actually an open house day, so there were a few new faces there, and also a few of the instructors who aren't usually at my class were there, so that was, it was nice to have a, a big full house. After my Irish dance class, I rushed home so that I could shower and go to my 
friend Jay's baby shower, which was really sweet. I knew some of the people there, but a lot of the people were new faces, so it was really cool getting to peek into her world and to see a lot of different people from different parts and walks of her life. After her shower would have been the optimum time to record this intro, but I was socially drained from from the party and from dance in the morning and from gymnastics the night before, so I came home and I took a nice fat nap for an hour and a half or so, and when I woke up, it was time to go to another friend's birthday party, so we had to go get right back out and go out again, but it was all fun, and I truly enjoy meeting people of all walks of life and from different backgrounds, and I also really like meeting my friend's friends because I get a peek into their lives and also get a little understanding of how they make friends in different aspects of their lives. I think some people get trapped in having friends from one place, but it was a really nice reminder to attend all of these events today and see that you can have friends in many spaces. So with that in mind, I would like to introduce my companion, Jeremy Tao. Jeremy and I met a couple of years ago doing what we love, filmmaking and creating. It was on a short film and he was working in the lighting department and I was doing the data wrangling and I was sort of my own department. So we didn't really have much time to get to know each other on that project, but when we did chat, I remember him being very cordial and very sweet and attentive, and I tried to be all of those things back, um, as well as curious and available to help if he needed my help in any way. But we both worked on that project, and then when that project ended, we both worked on a feature-length project with some of the same people who were involved in the short, and there we got more time to to chat on set, which was really nice, but still not a lot of time to really get to know one another. And after that project ended, we didn't really talk or interact too much for probably close to a couple years because right around that time was uh, when the plague hit. It was prime plague time. And so nothing was really happening. Everything was shut down work-wise for a while. And so I only recently connected with Jeremy. It was the end of 2021, when he messaged me and said that he had a a project that he was hoping that we could work together on. So of course we set up a call, and before we even began talking about the work, we took some time to, to reconnect and to catch up and to start to understand each other better. And to set the scene, I think he was probably heading home from work during that call, but I was outside in like 35 degree weather, roller skating under the stars. So that was kind of picturesque. But that call was really special because I began to realize that he and I were on similar paths of development and self-growth, but just in different modes of operation. 
we of course talked about the pandemic and 2020 and all these societally bad things that were happening, but we also focused on what we did as individuals during that time. And what we shared between us was that we both took 2020 and all of its difficulties and hurdles and roadblocks as time to really reflect on what makes each of us our own and what we can do to live more authentically as ourselves. And so this manifested in different ways for each of us, but we came up with different projects to ultimately push us past and propel us to the next phase of our of our lives. So mine, of course, is this Let Me Play project, and his is a film called Walkman that he's going to make soon. So after all of the catching up and reflecting and shared appreciation and introspection, we did decide to work together on the project that he was calling me about. The project was a short documentary that was actually an artist spotlight. It was part of a, a series of videos, and so Jeremy was assigned to create a short film for one of the artists in this group. The artist that Jeremy was assigned to is a really sweet children's book author named Meg Fleming, who's based out of San Francisco. And unfortunately, the project didn't pan out the way that Jeremy had originally intended, but I think the way that it did work out was a lot more fulfilling, at least to me. It wound up being a project celebrating an artist supporting another artist. And a lot of the themes that were spoken about throughout the piece were things that just really resonated with me that I've been thinking about and vocalizing in my own efforts to explore and to play and to reclaim all this creativity and love for creation. And it was just, it was filled with a lot of things that I needed to hear just as much as they needed to share. So it was really beautiful in that regard and it energized me to create it and it felt so good to edit it and help Jeremy put it together and then to finally share and have it be so warmly received as Jeremy said that it was, was just really beautiful. So I'm very grateful to have had that experience. Interestingly though, my favorite part of the project, aside from watching the final piece, were the talks that Jeremy and I had every time that we met. It only took about a month for us to put this project together, which was pretty fast considering that a lot of the independent projects that I've worked on tend to go on and on and on for weeks, months, even years, unfortunately. And in that time, we probably met about four or so times in person. And each of the times that we met, a substantial portion of the meeting was actually just he and I connecting and listening to each other and sharing stories and bonding and just really trying to get to understand 
the other person because we hadn't really had a chance to develop that friendship yet. Through these talks and through catching up and hearing about each other's parallel journeys in development and growth and exploration and creativity, it struck me that Jeremy is a great companion. He makes everyone that he loves feel safe and secure and he greets them with warmth and friendliness and he's such uh, an ardent supporter and a huge source of encouragement and he really respects the people that he interacts with. He's an active listener and active participant in any conversation that I've had with him and that I've seen him have with others and he has this incredible memory for the people that he interacts with. And he's able to remember and recount these seemingly insignificant things about people that make you feel seen and heard and cared for. So ultimately, collaborating with Jeremy on this documentary short wasn't just a creation of of this movie or of this project, but it was also creating our companionship and our friendship. And so when I watch this project and when I think of the beginning of this year and who were important people to me in this time, it it just makes it all the more special to know that he was a part of it. So now that you know a little bit more about Jeremy and the nature of our friendship, I'd love to invite you into our friendship circle. So go get comfortable and maybe grab a pillow or a blanket or something and cozy on up and come on in. Hello, Jeremy. Hey. Happy first day of March. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it is the first day of March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The beginning of spring, kind of-ish. It feels like it. Yeah, it, it feels, feels great. Like it. Where is it going? I feel like it was New Year yesterday. Yeah. Is that how your year has been so far? Yeah, it's been... We've been... Yeah, it's hard to believe it's you and I have been on working on something together for I can't believe how long ago it was when we started. Yeah, well, we started talking about it like the end of last year. Yeah. Yeah, like December, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we. Yeah, you're right. So we have been working on that movie since essentially the new year. Right. You're right. That is absolutely wild. Um, Turning that in was a great great feeling yeah yeah. no it's it's really unbelievable but yeah happy first day of march to you too happy first day of march and also mardi gras right yeah right Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's fat tuesday today is fat tuesday oh wow that's what they say (laughs) wow fascinating yeah gotta go get some pancakes (laughs) or something (laughs) 
Um, well, cool. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for welcoming me into your space. Uh, excited to be here. I'm excited to check out Athens later because I haven't uh, spent any time in Athens. So I think that'll be really fun. I'm excited to see uh, what's 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 up in Athens these days. Um, but mostly I'm excited to talk to you about companionship. And I thought that you were the perfect person to talk about this with because we have really only known each other in a working sense. Uh, we met because we were working on a short film together and uh, we weren't in the same department. So we only had like, you know, like little interactions here and there. And then that led to a feature and um, it was a bit more of the same, but there was more time on set because it was a longer shoot. And then... Um, we didn't really talk at all for, you know, the plague. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, we've recently reconnected, uh, and have been able to, uh, spend more time together and to work on, uh, work on a more, I would say a more fulfilling project, uh, at least for me. Um, and, you know, just kind of get to know each other in those capacities. But really after we do this podcast, since this is also still a little bit of work, um, will be the, the first time that we can just hang out. Mm -hmm. So um, I was curious to know, how can somebody be a good companion to Jeremy? That's, that's a good question. And uh, I, I, was really, I was really interested and, and, and excited for my noun because it, it made me really think about that word for the first time. And how complex it is and how meaningful companionship is, you know? And so uh, I've been thinking about the answer to that question for several days now. And, you know, just based off of my love languages and, and how I am as a person, I think, um, to me, I think a good companion is someone who uh, at least to the same degree as yourself desires to, to, to give their attention and their time and their energy. Um, and obviously that is a, a two-way street, you know, and I also think that when that balance starts leaving that 50-50 mark, it just me as a, as a personal person, like it, that, yeah, you just, I read into that stuff a lot and some, most of the time it's overthinking and, 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 uh, insecurity i guess on my end but um but no yeah i think it's a good companion for jeremy i think is someone who uh mutually wants to share each other with each other and um yeah conversation for sure and just i think a big thing for me too is is getting to the point of a friendship or a companionship also when like you can kind of exist in silence and just kind of comfortably be and because I am such an introvert and I am <clears throat> uh if there are any film folks listening to this like I don't it, it I a lot of people are surprised when when I consider myself an introvert uh when I became a freelancer I I came to really quickly realize that like I'm go I was gonna have to at least outside of the house shed a lot of my introverted tendencies. Um, cause I mean, we are a gig based industry and you're constantly having to sell yourself and, and, um, 
convincing people to, to hire you and give you money, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I really have filmmaking has really strengthened my, my, my people skills and my ability to talk with others and, and things like, like that. But, um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, it, it definitely drains my, my social batteries very quickly or they, they can be drained very quickly. I think, I don't know, I could be very wrong, but I think to me anyway, a little bit more quickly than most, most other people that I associate with maybe, I don't mm -hmm. know, but, um, but yeah, so I, I'm a big fan of being close friends with people to, to where, uh, you don't always have to be, uh, you know, out and about or kind of just conversing all the time, to be honest. So. Yeah, I completely empathize with that. And I think that's kind of how you know you've made it like in that comfort level way with somebody is when you can just both sit there in silence yeah. and it's not an anxious silence it's just a piece yeah. like yeah. and you just can have that moment yeah. in solitude together yeah absolutely. yeah it's really it can be really special yeah um there were a couple things that you said that i uh would love to to dive into uh there one of them is you distinguished uh or you implied that there's perhaps a distinction between companionship and friendship yeah and i was wondering what your thoughts were on that yeah, so that's that specifically companionship and friendship. That's something that I really had to, to be honest, to prepare for this podcast. I really wanted to make sure that I that I did my due diligence and and really learned the differences and and how I personally distinguished them. And so, yeah, I I would say that the main difference between friendship and companionship is, I mean. I have a lot of friends, you know, who, and I love seeing them, unfortunately, like, especially in a pandemic, like you don't really have a lot of those spontaneous hangouts anymore. Like we used to with like more, uh, like, um, <clears throat> yeah, the friends that you don't see every week or whatever, or talk or text with every day. Um, but yeah, the thing is I I'm friends with a lot of people and I'm friends with coworkers and colleagues and stuff, but uh, with most of those friends, you're not, understandably, because uh, you can't have that type of relationship with everybody, but, you know, you're you're kind of in the second and third tier of folks, respectively, mm -hmm. and mutually, I, I believe, of like, you know, you're not texting every day. You're not, um, you're not going to call that person when something weird and funny happened to you at TJ Maxx, and you can call them in like, both laugh your heads off like i think a, com a companion is someone um that's i guess for a lack of a better phrase like an even more concentrated friend you know it's just it's oh, a interesting. lot yeah and like you know you can <laughs> there's truly no i think there's a lot more of uh an unconditional thing there and uh yeah they're the type of person that you can uh you know, call at two in the morning and, and know they'll pick up or, or yeah, that, that person, that friend who you'll, they'll come over and you just, you watch like five movies in a row kind of thing. And you just, and you hang out and it's like, yeah, I think companions really proactively seek each other's 
attention, love, time a little bit more than quote unquote friends do. Mm -hmm. Whether it's platonic or romantic, you know, it's um, like my roommate, like he's upstairs right now. Like he, he was one of my first friends uh, I made in film school. And like, we're, I mean, we're, I mean, he's like, he's a brother more like genuinely more so than like a friend. Mm -hmm. It's like a friend does not accurately describe it. Yeah. It's not all encompassing and it doesn't speak to the depth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's it would be insulting to how much work and time and, and energy that we have put into our friendship mm-hmm. or in, you know, our companionship. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's the big thing. Is yeah. is the 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 proactivity of, of of keeping in touch in multiple forms and the wanting and the desire to to be wanted and desired by that other person too. Mm-hmm. And how important is cultivating those sorts of companionship to you? Does it inform all of the uh, ways that you go about creating relationships with people in any circumstance? Or is it something that's swept to the wayside a lot of the time? Or how does it inform the decisions you make? So my immediate response to that is like right now I'm thinking about the companions I have in my life and Mm -hmm. the different types, right? And what I've really come to learn over the past few days when I think about it is I have these, they came at like different, different checkpoints of my life. I have a really awesome group of guy friends, um, who we've known each other since middle school. Wow. So I moved from Central Cal. I was born and raised in Central California and moved to uh, Winder, Georgia in uh, 2000. And uh, through soccer and through uh, school and, and church, um, yeah, I there, there are still some guys who I've known for over 20 years now. And like we still hang out and we still spend the night at each other's houses and we still like not as, not as frequently any any you know their their significant others and their babies and their mortgages and their full-time jobs and you know it's also weird too because like with schedules like yours and mine like we're recording this on a tuesday at 1 15 in the right. afternoon like i mean that's weird <laughs> I mean, a lot of people are at work weird. right now yeah super weird and like we're doing this and we're about to go get like a midday meal and it's like yeah we can do that and but not all your friends can always do that who don't work in the same industries we do and and even if they work in the same industry yeah oh yeah absolutely it's if you work in film you every friendship is a long distance friendship pretty much oh wow uh, yeah and uh again with the companion you companionship you there are certain folks in your corral of loved ones that yeah you just naturally kind of want to be around more and um and so yeah and so i so there's that huge group of companions and and brothers pretty much from that chapter of my life and then um the next big batch of close friends and companions that i gained was when 
is pretty much when I started film school in 2015 through now, because mm-hmm. like through filmmaking, um, I, I found, <laughs> it's going to sound silly, but it's like, I found my people kind of, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And it's like, uh, I found the like people who are just as weird as I am and like, who just like, want to watch old movies all day and like and then and then go make our own movies and then talk and then at the same time talk about movies and then and you know and just um when i found filmmaking is when i found purpose in life um so like a lot of people don't know this like a lot of my personal friends and loved ones do not know what i'm about to say um but I actually failed out of college three times before I turned 20. I was a business administration major. And um, so I spent 18 to 25 very lost in this town, in Athens, Georgia. I, um, yeah, you know, I was on academic probation and then you mess up again because of that. You got an academic suspension for a semester and then, you go do that and you come back and you're still on probation. I fell out again. And this time you're kicked off for three semesters and it's kind of like, okay, maybe I should just, maybe college isn't for me. Um, and so I spent a lot of time here goofing off and, uh, you know, just like chasing girls and drinking beer and just like being a 21 year old kid. And, um, but very thankfully, I always had that group of companions and brothers from uh, from middle school because Winder's 20 minutes up the road from Athens. And so a lot of us just came here and uh, just to get away from, you know, families and parents and whatever. But uh, so when I hit 25 ish and a lot of my friends and close friends were getting jobs in like New York and LA and getting these amazing internships and, and, and all of these things. <clears throat> Here I was, no associate's degree, nothing. Uh, just like wasting time and money uh, sitting around Athens. And that's when I wanted to go to college mm-hmm. and uh, made the very difficult decision to, uh, I knew that I, I could only make it happen if I moved back in with my parents and so I wouldn't have to pay rent. And so I went through this whole thing of coming home with my tail between my legs and uh, fast forward three semesters and I start film school and fast forward two years and I'm a freelance filmmaker, you know, and um, it was just unreal to go from straight F's as a business student to straight A's as a film kid. And, uh, for the first time in a long time, I didn't feel like utterly stupid, mm-hmm. you know? And so, yeah, I, I often think about how difficult 18 through 24, 25 was. Uh, and I'm really embarrassed about how, quiet and how stubborn and too proud I was to ask for help from you like build this foundation of like these like great and loving people throughout your teens and you know I was so blessed and thankful to have them but then I was also too scared and too proud to go to them when I needed help and uh 
And so, yeah, so I start this filmmaking thing and I just start making just all these new friends. And uh, especially after we, we graduated film school, I graduated film school from the University of North Georgia in December of 2017. And I started uh, professionally freelancing around Halloween time of that same year, a couple months before I graduated. And yeah, I mean, the thing is, when you're a film freelancer, like you are just, if you're not on set, you're looking for the next one. And so you spend a lot of time with creative folks and with, with other filmmakers and photographers and artists. And it's like for the first time, I found community uh, through things that I am passionate about. And whereas like all of my best friends from middle school were because, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but we lived in the same neighborhoods and played on the same soccer team. And that's how we became really, really close. But with like this new batch of um, friends and new batch of companions, it's because we all love making movies. And so there's like a different energy there. Mm -hmm. um, and a different type of understanding and a different type of welcoming, you know, and not worse, not better, but just it satiates a different part of your brain and your heart, I think. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's just really awesome to, to know and be friends with and be inspired by so many like creatively talented people. I mean, I'll be honest, like sometimes I see other people's work art films whatever and it's like i need to stay fresh and i need to stay on top of my game or like i want to be as good as this person you know like i want to make a reader or a viewer feel like this person just made me feel it inspires me and so yeah um i say all that to say i guess the answer to your question is different batches of people have entered my life at very specific checkpoints in my life and I don't think it was an accident in any way yeah yeah I think it really speaks uh speaks a lot, a lot um how you struggled with school at the beginning and then you when you finally found the thing that you were interested in it it wasn't easy necessarily but it it clicked mm -hmm. and a big part of that seems to be the people that you were surrounded with and the fact that you were kind of all in it together and all there with e interest in each other and interest in each other's endeavors and that you were there to to support each other to inevitably learn and to create and i think you've taken that sentiment um it sounds like you've taken it Seriously, like you've taken it to heart, which I really admire uh, because I feel like a lot of people in whatever context or environment they're in, I think uh, a lot of people kind of just are comfortable with saying, oh, yeah, these are the these are these people for this specific um, circumstance. And then, you know, we kind of all go our separate ways. Uh, they're not really seeing the people behind the body or right. the being. Um, right. So it sounds like you were both present uh, in that, in your schooling and you were able to take that sentiment and keep those friends, those companions with you, um, but also take that mentality and apply it to 
wherever else you go um, in each of the projects you work on. And uh, it seems like you're, you really try to get to know people um, on a deeper level wherever you're going, or at least that's been my experience of you. Um, would you, one thing that you hinted at was that uh, friendship or companionship um, can be very contextual. And so I was wondering in like does the certain context of uh of meeting somebody uh affect the depth or circumstance to which your friendship can progress i think it plays a huge factor for sure um and like <clears throat> i guess an immediate example i would think of is if like you're meeting this like for example i i, I took this this trip up to the twin cities uh, right before Christmas and I went and visited this museum about the Hmong people like my my ethnicity and there's this dude and he was all by himself and I was the only visitor in the museum and like I talked to him I was pestering him a few times like yo like what's this over here and like yo like can I go in this room and yada 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 and um at first I think I was kind of annoying him but then I was, I then was like, you know, the reason I'm here, like, I'm, I, I think he heard my voice and he was like, are you from, are you from Atlanta? I'm like, yeah, I, I am from Atlanta. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, I, he was like, yeah, I'm a filmmaker. And I'm like, no way. So am I. And so this like kind of semi awkward, semi <laughs> annoying, like, I think I was being semi annoying, like the millisecond we both learned we were filmmakers, like, the warmth you know what i'm saying dude yeah like, it was like open arms yeah, like something like, clicks exactly yeah and there was some like like shared ground between you exactly yeah. exactly and so like we instantly warmed up to each other and we and then we played the game of like oh dude do you know blah blah mm -hmm. blah from la i'm like yeah i just was with him last week and blah 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 <laughs> and so we played that for a few minutes and <laughs> and there's just a sense of i think for me too it's it's like a sense I often have to explain things, mm -hmm. you know, and when it comes to myself, like, like, where are you from? Like, blah, 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 blah. Right. And so it's like this game of like, just always having to explain stuff about, you know, who I am and where we come from and no, blah, blah, blah. And like, I was born in California and I know where you're really from, like all that stuff. Right. And mm -hmm. so when you don't when like someone who you admire even if it's in the moment even if it's you know whatever it may be and like they just kind of understand a very meaningful part of your heart it's it's easy to receive them very warmly and very quickly you know mm -hmm. and i think that's just our brains and our hearts at work and not having to explain very sensitive parts of yourself can can you know it it's i've noticed that about my about me and like uh you know as the Hmong people are starting to become more present in american society it's like you know, like with suni lee at the olympics and what have you and stuff it's like there's i it helps out a lot because I don't have to 
constantly ex- explain as much and yeah. and it's like and so i don't know if, if that all makes sense at all but it's it's like yeah it it shouldn't be the 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 whole thing that that starts the foundation of a friendship or a relationship but it can be something that can jump start it off pretty quickly you know mm-hmm. um when you both love the exact same things it's you know so yeah i think it it can be as simple as like being in the same industry or having the same interests or maybe you majored in the same thing or even just like you're wearing the same color jacket i feel like as long as there's it often helps when there's something that is an obvious piece of shared ground between two people uh in addition to the fact that oh we're both human because i think people forget about that or they don't that's just not how they think Mm -hmm. um and so that's not enough common ground between but to have some other uh link Mm -hmm. between people in addition to that humanity uh i think can offer a lot of openness and potential to start building understanding between individuals and that can be a really crucial part into letting um to welcoming somebody in but also to letting somebody else um help or be a part of of your life Mm -hmm. um so i think that's really beautiful that you stumbled upon this other this other filmmaker and uh and we're playing that game of who's who and and all of that but i'm sure that also having not having to explain like uh like what a filmmaker does or like what type of lifestyle that is or any of that sort of small talk stuff um was both a a relief and a sense of validation um and i don't know i think a lot of the I think in a lot of the friendships and companionships I have with people, a huge part of that is, do I feel visible and audible? Like, do I feel like I am seen and I'm heard and that these people are trying, at least trying to gain an understanding of me instead of just asking for my, like, statistics? Um, I don't know. What do you think? about any of that has that been your experience have people tried to have you had experiences where people sort of are only interested in the the surface level jeremy or and not really go any further yeah so uh so the past couple years has been uh really really important and special to my career uh as a as a screenwriter and director uh for the first time um i've been you know i've i've been i was on the news the other day and like you know i've been i've been doing a lot of stuff my face has been popping up a lot and all this stuff right which i'm so thankful for and i'm you know it's weird talking about to be honest but i say all that to say that pretty much immediately after that started the the dms 
had like yo like and like not even like and i kind of hope someone listening to this right now like it's <laughs> not even like hey my name is blah and i'm from atlanta and i think it's awesome blah 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 if you blah 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 will you please read my script blah, blah. it's a lot of them are like how can, like how do i do this or like oh will, wow. you, will you please read this and get back to me or like yeah um like I won this grant last year for my team, right? And mm-hmm. like right after we won, this lady uh, DM'd me and was like, "Like, would you be willing? Like, not even that nicely. Pretty much like what she wanted to see, like my lookbook and like some mm-hmm. of the stuff that I sent in that that won the grant. It's right. like, who are you people? Like, <laughs> you, you. Why did she want to see it? Because she for the next round of. So, so it was she, just for her, not with any interest in yeah, you. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's like, uh, that's been weird, mm. really weird. And also too, like, I don't want to sound like I'm com- complaining about what I'm about to say, but it's, there have been several times when like people, you know, you know Jeremy's like, can I would love to, to pick your brain, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to get lunch or coffee, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, dude, of course, I would love to. And then it's usually set where it's like, because you know how it is around here, Sarah, like you, everyone drives. Like you're, Everybody drives. you gotta, you like, you're going to drive 30 minutes minimum most of the time. Yeah. It, and so it's like, okay, cool. And you play the schedule game and then it's like, okay, we're meeting this person who I barely even know. I'm going to have to drive 45 minutes to get there, blah, 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 which is all fine. It is. But then like. I, I think that when people want to do that, I really do think that you have to be proactive in like paying for that person's cup of coffee or like it. it's like, dude, I just drove an hour and then I just paid like 19 bucks for lunch. And then I just gave you a bunch of answers about filmmaking that took me literally years to learn by myself. And then you get in the car and it's like, what am I doing? Like, they, like I'm so glad I helped this person. I really am. But mm-hmm. it's like, I think the approach should be considered more from folks who, because I got to cold email or cold DM or cold call someone that takes guts. I totally admit that. Mm-hmm. But the approach still needs to be appropriate, I think. And, yeah. And, uh, and so, yes, that has been... Um, it's been something I'm getting used to. There's a lot of like there's several DMs from like strangers and stuff who are like I I've never even opened, but they're like you know I want to work on your movie, I want to act in your movie, and it's like. Mm. Well, so how do you yeah. set those boundaries then with those people, or are there boundaries that you're setting? I th- I think I'm I think I'm trying to learn the answers to that question in real time. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, because it's also fast. Right? Yeah, it's it's all of this stuff just it just happened very quickly, right? And um, I mean, dude, like I, <laughs> I, I do want to respond. I do, and I got, and, and I genuinely want to help folks. Like, yeah, I, you're a big helper. I, you want people to succeed. Exactly, but I've. It's taken me a long time to realize that I often bite off more than I can chew. And a lot of the pro bono stuff that I've been doing can 
because that's the I know like I'm pretty often doing like some stuff right and like to help out and just kind of white knuckling it mm -hmm. whenever that stuff kind of interfered with like real work stuff you right. know and it's just like well you know I made the commitment and I got to blah 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 and I got to do all this now as I approach like my fifth year of freelancing and like as I'm kind of really trying I'm like kind of trying to rebrand myself um a lot of people know me as a, a first assistant director and a, a set lighting technician and I'm trying to shed those labels and be uh, solely known as a writer and director. And so, um, yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting moving because I know okay, once we make this movie, um, I have a feeling that we're going to be going to a lot of film festivals and things like that. And I'm kind of. I'll be honest, that has actually been a source of like a little bit of anxiety. I was going to ask. Very much yeah. so. Very, very much so. And uh, it's just, no one cared about what I had to say like uh, a year and a half ago, like at all. And now, um, again, I'm an introvert having to like, I was on the news and it's like, yeah, this is like, really weird to me it's and probably very like positively traumatic if that makes sense i think that i think that is entirely accurate yeah very accurate and so <clears throat> one of my biggest faults not i wouldn't say a fault but like one of my biggest anxieties is like you should see how many Instagram DMs I have not opened. I kind of I, want to. I, I'll take a peek later. <laughs> I think it's because it, like and like it's not even Instagram DMs. It's like texts and stuff. Yeah. Where it's like I'm so exhausted socially and <laughs> like I really can't even reply to this. If I reply to this Instagram DM or if I reply to this text message, I'm pretty sure the world's going to explode kind of thing. And it's, yeah. so it's just like that happens and the same thing, exact thing happens the next day with someone else. And then the whole pandemic goes by and there's like I have like 7000 emails and blah, blah, blah. And like right. it's. Uh, and so, yeah, it's. um I have this executive producer on my movie and she worked for TLC and discovery, I believe for a long time. Actually works at crazy legs mm. and she used to give media training to in-house employees, uh, up North. And I think I may, she gave me some quick pointers for when I was going to be on the news, but I, I actually do think I want to like kind of sit down with her and like maybe try to, have a more thorough lesson with yeah. her maybe because um i mean i don't want to freeze somewhere if i'm like freaking out kind of and so yeah it's a lot to take in it and is. adapt to and it sounds um it sounds like it could be like wonderfully overwhelming yeah um because on it comes from a good place because like the the story was all about you and like you like really uh are as an artist and are succeeding and are making your 
putting your work into the world and it's very uplifting. But so that's all that all comes from a very genuine place. And I'm sure that you've received a lot of genuine warmth and support in return from that. But it sounds like a lot of these interactions that you're having are very uh, transactional and very draining and that with most of them, you're very just skeptical about the intention behind them because it doesn't sound like it's out of any authentic interest in you or your work. It sounds like, uh, you know, the classic, like, how can I use you as to propel myself forward, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, What effect... Or to what extent do you think intention plays behind, like, whether you think somebody's offer towards you or advance towards you um, is authentic? Are you able to sense, get a sense of that? I would like to think that I do. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I... I, I, so before I started filmmaking and during that period of time when I wasn't in school and stuff, I was, I had a bunch of random crappy jobs. Like I, I managed three dry cleaning places. I worked in several office environments, uh, assistant manager in some of those office environments, in some of those office environments. And so like, I mean, I did those things for like six or seven years. And while I was in film school, I was doing data entry for this uh, custom blinds and shutters company. And so like, I I have a lot of experience in the actual business environment, retail and office. And so, um, yeah, I, I, and the thing is too, Sarah, like the, the more experience we get as filmmakers and as freelancers, like, the really one of the most awesome parts about that is now like i know how to be a little bit more patient before back in the day the second an offer is made it's like yo i don't even care what you're paying me yeah i'm just gonna take whatever comes give it to me like i just i just want to be on the call sheet Mm -hmm. whatever (laughs) literally that's so funny like i just want to be on the call sheet because that's so true there's so much validation in that like seeing your name printed on there with everybody else exactly (laughs) like it's official yeah it's like dude when you're a young filmmaker that can be a form of currency in and of itself you know what i'm saying oh yeah especially for the folks who are trying to get into the union and things like call sheets are so important oh right right and so back then when i was a younger filmmaker i didn't have the time to really you know like i i had to take whatever they're giving me regardless of the intention regardless of if they were trying to get free work or whatever i was going to take it but now it's like you know like i don't i don't have to do anything like i don't want yeah, to right. i can say no to jobs i can um it's amazing how warm and uh, nice <laughs> producers and, and department heads can be when they're trying to recruit you, but right. how cold or quickly absent they are after, uh, you know, you don't immediately give them the answer that they want or mm-hmm. need from you. But um, yeah, 
I forget what we were talking about. <laughs> um, no, that I think that that summed it up perfectly. We were speaking a little bit about like intentions and you know just intentions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. no, that's so that's so true. Um, people can when they want something, people will act a certain way, and then mm. they'll flip um, as soon as they're as soon as they either figure out that you can give that to them or can be used like can help them out yeah. to get something that they want or um they'll just like i don't know cut you out or yeah. just become confrontational or just like i don't know just not interested i right. guess um right. which always catches me off guard yeah it sucks yeah like there's this okay one more little story yeah so there's this PA in town. Uh-huh. I've never met this guy uh-huh. ever. He said he got connected to me from this other dude who I've never met right. ever. And so every few months I get a text from this kid and it's like, yo, do you know of any PA spots? Like, <laughs> what I haven't been advertising to people say is like, I've pretty much like, I'm not freelancing right now. And like, I'm yeah. not, I'm not, I'm not really gigging up or like on film sets right now, pretty much at all. Right. And so um, for this chapter of my life Mm -hmm. as I prepare this movie. But so like last week, I think he did it again. And he was like, hey, man, like, do you know of any office PA jobs or onset jobs, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, "Uh, I have a few APOC friends and a few second AD friends. And I'm like, I'll, I'll... I'll see what, like, I'll see what's up. And I was like, hit me back up later. And he hit me back up later. And I had no, I had nothing for him. And so I'm like, hey, man, sorry. Like, I had nothing. No. Hey, thanks anyway, man. No. Like, I really appreciate you even contacting, but like, nothing. I just got like, like I said, sorry, I don't have anything and got nothing back. And it's like, I cannot wait for you to text me in three months asking me the same question, you know? And so I think that also currently it's like all these stories I just told you in the last 10 minutes are kind of leaving a little bitter taste in my mouth. That's mm-hmm. like, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not tr- going to be pushing people away, but it's just, I'm, I'm very much more cognizant of intentionality mm-hmm. and, and honestly, like, we are, we're always trying to convince people like how we like, please like let me on your team. I swear to God, like I know I'm how to right do fit. this and I'm going to do all this. Yeah. Now, a lot of the times it's like, yo dude, like how am I going to be like, what am I getting here? Right. You know? And um, so, yeah, I, I think that is something that I have been much more aware of and, and geeked out by a little bit and, yeah, just more cognizant of as we move forward. Absolutely. Well, it's a, it's a completely different approach than how we're instructed to to progress ourselves and to put ourselves um, in a situation or environment. Like you said, we're usually supposed to go around, um, you know, tooting our own horn and yeah. touting ourselves as yeah, this is why we're the best and this is why you should hire us. But I think you're exactly right. I think it needs to be more of an open conversation of here is who I am. Right. And tell me who you are and we'll see if we're a right fit for each other. 
Um, and I think that that can apply to really any circumstance or at least any that I can, I can think of. I just think that that's such a more, uh, genuine and heartfelt way to go about creating, uh, relationships with people and to start like budding friendships and you know uh instead of treating things as transactions or just like um like circumstantial but um you mentioned uh that well I can completely understand uh this next sentiment because um I am also introverted, as you know, but a large part of introversion, I think, is just based on energy levels. So it's, I think the difference between introversion and extroversion, at least to me, is the source of the energy levels or the source of energy and where that energy is coming from and how you regain it when it's lost. And for me, and probably I would think for yourself too, as an introvert, um, my energy, uh, is gained or, um, added when I am either alone by myself, like just kind of like hanging out and, uh, you know, doing things to, doing things that I enjoy in solitude, uh, but also when I am surrounded by people or not necessarily surrounded because that sounds, that's perhaps too big, too grand. It doesn't have to be, it can just be one person, mm -hmm. um, but I'm around people or a person who um, are fully interested in me for genuine reasons and are supportive and encouraging and are giving me those sorts of validations but even that sounds like too needy <laughs> um but and also um i also get energy from doing the things that i really enjoy like creating and helping other people create and um like doing the physical training like i was mentioning before this whole ever since i've started this let me play project mm -hmm. um i i've had so much more energy yeah. uh which has been amazing and crazy uh because the past forever yeah. uh i've never had just like expendable energy before which is insane and i like it so i think that's telling but um as in terms of companionship though i've often found the uh, opposite of that, where when people are not genuinely interested in either the things that I'm saying or how I'm saying them, or um, I can tell that it's just like they're just making small talk and they're just kind of getting through a conversation and they're not really asking questions. There's no spark of curiosity there. That is excruciatingly drainful to me. And I think that in my experience it's been so draining because like I've I don't want to speak in superlatives and say that I've never had people interested in what I'm doing because that's not at all the case it's just that's not I guess what's societally acceptable the things that I tend to be attracted to and interested in mm -hmm. so I've gotten so good at separating myself and becoming independent and probably a little bit too reclusive at times and keeping things like too close to my heart 
um, that are really personal to me. And uh, because I know that that, I guess I know that that's like a source of energy for myself and I can go back to it. But it's been hard kind of letting some of that be shared because I guess there's, um, it's hard to know like if the people that I'm sharing it with are going to uplift it and continue putting energy into it, even if it's just like a, oh, neat, like it, or that's cool, or if, you know, whatever the actual warm reception is to it, or if they're just going to dismiss it and be like, oh, that's, you're doing that. Gotcha. Huh. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But so all of that to say, I was curious about if you've had any similar experiences with your creative work or how um, how your energy levels or how how companionship specifically affects your energy levels and if energy plays a factor into the companions and friends that you make. Yeah. So it's like, similarly, I think the most, the quickest and most efficient way to recharge my batteries, specifically my, like, like my sociable batteries and, and my desire to verbally interact with anybody. I mean, it could be the best friends in the world. I just, I need alone time. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, if I could afford it, like I would live alone. Um, and uh like when i'm cooking i want to be alone when i'm when i <laughs> when i'm like you watching tv like i just want to be alone and although i you do you have you do have to play your part and like you don't get to do that all the time like you do have to learn how to coexist right but um yeah i listening to 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 your prompt i the first thing I really thought of was phase one of pandemic Mm. and how like a lot of energy. I also build up similarly to yourself. I get a lot of energy build up from like being around like-minded people, a film set, a film set to me, like, especially like right after we started learning how to make movies, like it was just, it was like, the golden corral of energy you know what i'm saying it's just like you just get on a movie set and it's like everywhere you turn you're just wide-eyed and just like oh we're building this like oh we're doing this there's and so much stimulation and there's so many people working together yeah, and yeah. creativity and, yeah yeah and most of the time like everyone wants to help each other and and, mm-hmm. and it's just so much fun and like and it makes you think about like your next movie, you know, it's like, man, I like, I hope we do something this cool. Like, and I hope, I hope we can get that dude. I hope she wants to be on my next movie and like all this stuff. And it's just, there's just so much like imagination and like potential and like, like awesome. Like what ifs, you know, like every time you're on a movie set. It's been uh, just a sidebar. It's been a literal, like, party is what I felt like I've been going into the past like three days that I've gone on to set because it just like even they were most of them were or they all they were all night shoots which kind of sucked to some degree but um like even just like going up and parking and uh it didn't feel like I was driving to work it felt like I was 
like going to go attend a party and then you park and then you hop on the shuttle and then you get off and then you're you're just like there with all these people trying to make this thing it's a really surreal experience yeah yeah and then you get a paycheck a couple weeks later right and (laughs) and for what like i just came here and i ate your food and i rode on this bus and you told me to like go over there so i did yeah i uh i used to say um, and I still do think it at times, especially when I'm one ADing. It's particularly when I'm one ADing. Um, you're actually paying me for the pre-production. Like, yeah, I'm I'm working on set for free. Right. Like, it's 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 just the only place I ever want to be. You know, on a movie set. And so it's so when pandemic came, uh we lost a lot of that you know Mm -hmm. like i mean that feature you mentioned earlier like the the feature we you and i work on together like um we're obviously in very different roles but we both like they sent me to to dc and like we like it was just so much fun and like it i got to do a lot of movie things for the first time ever on that feature that i'd never been afforded the ability or the opportunity to do and so like um just the making of the product it really changed me and it really saw like i really saw what it took to film a feature film in an indie style of course but a feature film nonetheless and so anyway when pandemic started and we lost all of our jobs um i knew that like and the thing is too like too much time by yourself is also terrible right and so uh my roommate at the time he was a motorcycle mechanic so he often and i was working from home and so you know i'm working from home at my desk for eight hours and then like literally behind my desk is my bed where i sleep for eight hours that's 16 hours then i'm you know other than cooking my meal in the kitchen like i'm I'm in my room for like 21 hours a day during phase one and because of anthony's job schedule and just because depressed or whatever didn't feel like getting out of my room there's sometimes that i didn't see another human during phase one dude for like four or five days at a time right and that is when you think about that that is utter insanity it is yeah <laughs> it is well it's like you're in a like a jail cell or something yeah. or some sort of solitary confinement yeah yeah and so that was a lot of that was a moment where i was like we're gonna have to figure out like an alternative way of you know getting those batteries recharged and 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 kind of figuring out like um we're just trying to figure out how to survive in in that new world and i guess we still are and uh but so yeah dude i um during phase one because we didn't have to worry about freelancing um i screen wrote for the first time in like probably like four or five years i'd say three or four years and um that little script has just uh gained some legs and has really it's been life-saving to me Mm -hmm. i think uh 
we've gotten a lot of really awesome attention and support uh, from the script and the positivity and the excitement um, that comes along naturally of writing a script and then beginning the pre-production process that kept me going dude that was the energy i think that i needed to like create in an emergency fashion right then and there um because like you you remember how hard good news was come like it was to come by in those days and like I think one of the one of my favorite parts about Walkman thus far has been it has been the support from people um the support from the Asian American community uh the support from a lot of old teachers and old classmates that I haven't talked to in like literally like 15 years you know like um for lack of a better way of saying it it was just like it was like a reminder to me that you're supported you're loved like people are paying attention you know and like you never really think about things like that you know and uh and so when i'm getting these really warm Facebook posts and stuff from like my 10th grade honors lit teacher like she and and like you know and it's yeah it, it was a it was a very great generator of positive energy and it continues to be and it's something I'm very thankful for and I guess I say all that to say that like I guess there are times when you need to be the creator of the energy that you need um you can't just wait for stuff to happen all the time and mm -hmm. sometimes even on low batteries you're still gonna have to deliver and it's part of growing up i reckon yeah yeah it definitely is um being an active participant in your life mm -hmm. instead of just uh, a passive observer and just letting life happen yeah i mean with anything i think there's um it's sort of a pendulum um, or there's different ways that you can go about it, all sorts of different walks of life and such. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think you sort of hit it on the head where you do need to, in order to attract the things that are attractive to you, you need to go and seek them. Yeah. It sounds Yes. Like that's been your experience. Yes, because I think I came to realize that I was too scared to ever leave my place of comfort and, until I became a, a filmmaker. Straight up on, I was like 30 years old and I was like, dude, I need to, I am guaranteed loneliness and discomfort and unhappiness if I just am just a big scaredy cat and just like, so I never do anything. And so, you know, it. as I get older, I, I, I become an even more firm believer in YOLO, you know? Yeah, and right. uh, I want to go do stuff. And I want to go, you're a traveler too, just like me. And like, I want to, like, I've been itching to, to go international again. And like, I, I want to go like 
see things and eat things and like be uncomfortable in different places and like yeah I I mean what else yeah what else what else exactly um well I'm sure you'll get to do all of those things because yeah. you're you're a go-getter you're you're a fighter you'll you'll definitely have all of those things if you vocalize that you want them and go seek them like I'm sure you will continue to do so going out of your comfort levels seems to be a really big springboard or an essential springboard for growth and change and you know achieving the things that you want to achieve how important do you think friends or companions are uh in that like is it important for friends and companions and people that you have close to you to push you out of your comfort level or to give you constructive criticism or objective feedback or is it more important for them to just sort of encourage not necessarily blindly but um just offer broad support you know i'm going to answer this question very honestly and uh i admittedly have i'm a very sensitive person you know and it is still honestly very difficult to take feedback critique like of any kind i'll be straight up honest dude it's it's uncomfortable to hear and it's like i immediately think that i suck terribly this a lot of the times i can feel like that when um you start breaking that stuff down you know i very much prefer the second thing you said just very much warm and open uh encouragement and support that i feed off of that incredibly well and to be honest like it's just like the gasoline that i need to like to to like hone in on the stuff i need to do mm -hmm. um I do not share my screenplays with many people uh, because I also don't write like, okay, so like I write screenplays for, they're for me. Like I, I have never written a screenplay really that I intend to like sell or get, like I want to direct every script I write. Mm -hmm. I know that's like unrealistic and I know that it's like, but like, dude, no one's ever paid me for my rent. Like I don't, at this point in my life, like I don't really care. Like I'm just going to do what I want to do. And so, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm trying to get better at not getting so upset when I get my, my stuff just rocked, you know? And, um, especially too, like when it comes from people who I really respect and who I admire their work, because again, it's just a me thing, but I'm taking it. It's like, damn, like I suck pretty hard compared to, I mean, just look at the things are pumping out and what have you. But, um, yeah, it's, so I, I started therapy for the first time during phase one for the first time ever. And um, I'm like medicated and I'm on antidepressants for like the first time ever. And it's been 
a hell of a journey because so like everything has been tied back to like the pandemic because mm-hmm. it all i started therapy like a month after pandemic started. yeah and like also it's like a lot of stuff roots from that specific moment in time right and so like i've been on this huge like i don't i hate to say journey of like uh trying to refine myself or something corny like that but like you you uh hold on a second the pandemic was i think you and i both used it as an opportunity for introspection yeah and it was much needed because at least speaking on my for myself i liked the path that i was on but it wasn't as a creative person through and through it wasn't something that was fulfilling to me or it wasn't something that was um even sustainable Mm -hmm. even though it was the sustainable path you know uh but you and i both in our different ways did such a great job i think of really finding what we needed or at least addressing what we needed yeah and i i can tell from an outside perspective that you have been chasing those things and that those things are finding you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for noticing that and saying that I, during pandemic was my first taste of legitimate Hollywood filmmaking. Like during pandemic, I worked on, uh, I worked on this feature film. It was, it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's the biggest budget Netflix has ever had in the movie. Mm. Um, and to film that, I had to go live in a COVID bubble hotel for four months in Peachtree City. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was incredibly difficult. That was like September. That was August through October of 2020. So that was like no vaccines, nothing. It was like in the roaring, like scary part of pandemic. And um i hated it i did not like it at all i actually quit and i left before end of show i had been gone from home i think i was gone i think the final total i think i was gone 14 and a half weeks living in a hotel room and like and the thing was i was the essentially the key the key hotel pa and the covid monitor for the hotel and so like I didn't like my job was at the hotel. I actually never wow. went to set. Oh, I was about to say you were just in that hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. Wow. Yeah. Like uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you drove to Atlanta Metro to get your COVID test and you just go straight back. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and so um, that was not the funnest thing. But the thing was, I was making like, I was making so much money. Yeah, and right. that was the thing. And like, that's how they got everyone. I mean, the, there were, we had two hotels. Dude, there were like 100 people at each hotel. It was a whole damn film crew. And um, 
So anyway, I left that because of how much I hated it. Um, it was very terrible from a mental health and physical health standpoint for everybody. Uh, after that, I got on my first network TV show. Um, the first time I've ever worked in television. That was incredibly stressful. And uh, it went from like super fun because of the idea of like, you know, I'm coordinating on a massive TV show on a massive network that like, and that honeymoon period can only last for so long until you are, you know, pulling your hair out uh, at 11 p.m. on a Thursday night. You know, like, like <laughs> this person's worst. not answering my email. There's this appointment in the morning. It's like all this stuff. And, yeah. um, and so the thing is, too, uh, I actually quit that as well. And so the two biggest things I've ever worked on, Hollywood Union Productions, I quit and I left. <laughs> and, and I was like, man, I I think I belong. I think I'm an indie filmmaker. I think that's what I am. And so just like everyone was telling me when I was first starting my career, I should just kind of make money with the job and concentrate on my writing and my directing. I'm not saying I made the wrong choice by becoming a lighting technician in AD because I met, like I met you doing that. And I met so many of my friends doing that. And you gained so many skills and a exactly. deeper, like broader understanding of the industry. Exactly. And so now I'm actually doing what they're telling me to do. At the beginning, like now I have, um, uh, you know, I'm not freelancing as much as I'm, I was directing two or three things at the same time. One of them you were a huge part of, Sarah. You were the DP and editor and, and so, yeah, I'm came to quickly realize that, like, I think unless I'm above the line, to be honest, I don't think I want to work on like union stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah, and it's completely understandable. Um, I totally empathize uh, with all of those sentiments because i've found that on the bigger the scale of the show the more corporate it is and yeah. as a naturally creative person and i can only be in those environments for so long yeah. and it's kind of a ticking clock for sure but i thought it was interesting that you categorized yourself just now as an indie filmmaker uh sort of putting yourself in that box of filmmaking or that type of filmmaking um i I haven't labeled myself as one thing or another, but I do feel like I'm more drawn to that indie filmmaker mm -hmm. label um, or box, whatever metaphor you want to go with there. Mm -hmm. um, but I was wondering if that similar uh, mentality or um, of putting, of quantifying or qualifying can be applied to the your specific friendships because a lot of people will go around and say oh this is my best friend mm -hmm. or this is my good friend or no we're just acquaintances yeah. or like oh yeah life partners here um yeah. so i was wondering if those sort of qualifiers are important to you or if those are something that 
like if you have a list of best friends or something in the back of your head or if you kind of just treat everyone as equal or I don't know. So I love that question. And I'm going <clears> to, <throat> it's like the answer is in two parts kind of. And so the, the qualifiers and the labels and things like that. Okay. So when it comes to friendships and companionships and, and engaging levels and things like that with certain people, to me, those are irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to, I, one of the, one of my favorite compliments I've ever received, um, it was like four or five years after we graduated high school and I ran into an old buddy at a football game here in Athens. And I, that was the first time I'd seen him in probably four years. And, uh, he said, I'm really glad that you're, you're always Jeremy, like no, no matter where you are, and no matter, so you know, and it was, I've always remembered that because I, you know, like being a minority, I've always been a big kid. Like I've always been picked on and uh, an easy target for, for being picked on and bullying and stuff. And so like, uh, I, a result one of the results of that after a long time of of being in that position is like a lot of self-doubt right and that self-doubt will it it trickles into all of the different branches of your life and so for me like like in film school and right after film school There is all, and it also, in addition to, to that self doubt, there's a lot of like inf inferiority complex and, and stuff like that that I was dealing with. And so, you know, going to a small commuter college, like film school at a small commuter college, and it's like, um, I often felt like I was playing pretend. Like, I hope one day I can be a director, I hope one day I can be a screenwriter. But it's like, damn, I just worked on this screenplay for like 17 hours, you know, and it's like I'm, I'm directing this thing here. And like I when you think like that, like I will be this thing. And of course, there are some things that you do have to think like that with, obviously. But I really had to shift my thinking from. No, I am a director. Mm -hmm. I am a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. And so for me those qualifiers and those labels are very important for, for myself to, to assure myself and to remind myself that I can compete. I, I know what I'm doing and I'm not, I'm not playing around. Like I, I, uh, I, I could and should be doing something else that pays me more money. I should, but like, I, I'm not, I won't. Right. And so like, when I like in my Instagram bio, dude, like it, it's, I'm a director, I'm a screenwriter, I'm a one AD. Like I actually need to see that more than anyone else, admittedly. Mm -hmm. Um, there's just a sense of realness to that. When I see like words are big for me, I'm a, I'm a writer. I love words. And like, I believe that like words are, are some of our, it's like our most important currency as human beings are our, our, is our, our voice and our words and like 
your word selection and the, and the order of your words and how you how you say the words and which parts you you emphasize and inflect it's like it's it's big it's really really big and so i think that when i see the the labels that i have put upon myself that i wrote with my fingertips in black and white on my instagram page it is just a reminder to myself that this is not a game I'm not playing pretend like this is who I am. And so that's just a me thing. Um, it, it really is. And so, yeah, those labels and such, they don't apply to anyone. Like in terms of having a label, I don't care what anyone else um, is. I mean, a, a human's a human. And so. Yeah, I don't know if that really answered like what you're. Yeah, <laughs> you're yeah, it did. It did. Um, yeah, for sure. I kind of go about it the same way. I would think, uh, at least in terms of other people, they're not really. I've never felt like labels like best friend or good friend or anything has been um, super helpful. Yeah. To me, yeah. because all I can think of is putting one above another right and that's i would say that there are sometimes better circumstances to have certain people in um just because different people are better at different things or you know might enjoy one activity more than another but and you know all sorts of things like that but in general i i at least try to share the same warmth and openness with everyone that I come across. And um, I've gotten the sense just from the way I've seen you interact with people that you try to do that too. I don't know if that's um, conscious or an unconscious, subconscious thing from you, but um, I don't know. I think there's, uh, I think it's important to treat people like people. Um, So I'm glad that we, can both do that. One thing that you mentioned, in addition to uh, in addition to your your love of language and your appreciation for um, vocalizing things and seeing uh, written word and taking that really to heart and putting a lot of power behind it, um, was at the beginning of the conversation. I believe you you mentioned love languages. And I think you said that yours is, it's probably a mix of a couple of things, but one of the biggest ones is quality time, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it sounds like perhaps like words of affirmation would yeah, play into that a little sure. bit. for sure, absolutely. Yeah, so I was wondering um, how or if, I guess, do you consciously use love languages to inform the decisions you make um, when you're interacting with people or the ways that you interact with people? Yeah. Um, Or have you, or the reverse, like have people, um, have you been the recipient of that? Yeah. So I have to briefly explain what a first assistant director is. Okay, great. To, to answer that most effectively. So in filmmaking, there is this position called the first assistant director. Um, 
long story short, the one AD, uh, if the, if the director is responsible for all the creative stuff, the one AD is responsible for the scheduling and the safety and the logistics and things of that nature. And, um, and so, uh, they are actually the person quote unquote running the set, uh, where the, the director is mistakenly often mistakenly, um, thought of as that person. And so being a one AD, there are some times when you have to be makeshift therapist, you have to be mediator, you have to be all these different kinds of things. Um, and I think one of my, my best attributes and my favorite things about being a one AD is so it just, it, it, it comes down to different layers of communication Right. And so like um, you, you really have to learn your crew. I have to I have to pull this person. I have to push this person. I have to I can motivate this person by joking around and cussing a little bit. I can. I, but I have to motivate this person very softly and with with you know very quietly and in, in a very private manner and like when you can start learning how to talk and motivate a, a crowd or a crew, but then on a more micro level, your department heads, and then on an even more micro level, your ground soldiers. And like, and so for example, uh, March, Friday, the 13th, 2020, the beginning of the COVID apocalypse. Um, I was one ading a narrative short film. We were on Friday was day one out of three, and to remind everyone, so two days prior to that, March eleventh was the day that Tom Hanks and his wife announced they had COVID. The NBA canceled its season, and Trump canceled European air flight into the states. Right, so that was like during that time. So while we were on set. I had already lost like between Wednesday and Thursday, I had already lost like four gigs myself on set on Friday was really the day that everyone started losing work. So, I mean, this in this indie short film, it had stunts. It had, I mean, the crew was massive that it was, it was a difficult shoot as a one AD. Um, and then very unexpectedly a pandemic happened and so here we are on set and like you just start seeing people crying and stuff and it's like the losing gig after a gig after a gig i mean everybody it was all of us and <laughs> you have people crying and in utter fear and I am too. Like my my friend, uh, she was texting me. I remember she was upset with me because do y'all remember the gro like the grocery stores and stuff during that time? And like she was pretty mad that I wouldn't like you know that I wasn't going to the grocery store. But it's like I can't leave this movie set, you know. And um. 
that was those three days uh emotionally as an on-set filmmaker were probably the most difficult three days i've ever had in my life Mm -hmm. and because guess who everyone comes to when they're on the brink of emotional collapse they come find the one ad and so like there were sometimes i'd have my second ad call the cadence and stuff while they're filming because i'm like in the driveway consoling someone and there's literally someone waiting around the corner waiting for their turn to come talk to me next and it's just like i am not a counselor like i <laughs> i just like make dumb little movies and it's um but to be honest it was in that moment when i really realized um how important it is to to when you are in positions like that when people are depending on you for certain things like i think i realize i'm saying all that to say that i think i realized that a job that i honestly don't really care for very much i realized how genuinely important it was in that moment and knock on wood like i've never had an injury on set or anything like that um but yeah like i mean i remember a very specific person who like i was scared financially for them you know and it's like but I mean, dude, we're broke as hell too. And you know, like, what are we going to do? What, what can we do? And so, um, yeah, it, it's, you, you learn people and their love languages and hope, you know, and the best scenarios are when you work with the same people on multiple projects, right? And like, you know, it makes them pissed off. You know, what makes them, and you know, you know how to encourage them, you know, how to, all of this and yeah it takes time it takes commitment in somebody it takes you know it's a lot of work to to create like a a well-oiled like crew of people and um but yeah i think that our skill sets and our labels are too often because i mean it's like you hear it all the time like yo i need a i need a key grip tomorrow 8 a.m and it's like i don't give a shit who the person is i don't care where they live i don't care who they are i don't care can they grip let's get them and there's a sense of very really crappy dehumanization that comes when i am looked at as oh he's that one ad who's free this weekend and it's not no we're getting jeremy Mm -hmm. you know right 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 well that's um the opposite in the way that you've told me that you prefer to crew up your projects. You've told me that you uh, much prefer to hand select or to cherry pick the people that are going to be a part of your team, which I think speaks to the value um, or the weight, I guess, of um, camaraderie and, uh, and, um, and just general support and togetherness that you want to be a part of each project that you make, um, which I completely 
I'm, I'm totally behind. And that's sort of the way that, that I operate as well. Like I, one of the funny things is we're in this creative industry that none of us has to be here for, like yeah. nobody has to do this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I would much rather, you know, have fun working on something that can be really stressful mm-hmm. and can be really, um, it can be a film set can be so much fun, but it can also be like chaos. Yeah. Uh, so I'd much rather like burden that potential chaos with a group of people that I enjoy being around mm-hmm. than, um, or at least a, a group of people that if I don't know them personally, I can get to know them and they're open to me getting to know them. And they're also interested in getting to know me than the than the opposite or the alternative, which is just a bunch of people uh, upset that they have to work, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or just kind of trying to get through it as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, what, so being a, um, a first AD and having all of these people come up to you all of the time um, for, each individual issue of varying degree and scale and intensity. Um, what is a healthy way for you, do you think, to prioritize each of these incidents or people, um, I guess, separate from if they're personal things, like separate from the work? I feel you. <clears throat> so what it boils down to, yeah, like what you're is it is it personal or is it set related? So that's the first uh, like signifier of like what direction we're going. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's personal and it's like for real for real, that is a scenario where I really hope that that production has provided me a second AD, mm-hmm. and you, you you promote your second AD to cover for you while you go help this person. If you cannot directly help them, then you you help them get to that next step. Help right? them get the help. Exactly. Like one thing I really had to learn as a one AD or as a filmmaker in general is it's okay saying like not knowing something. I used to be deathly afraid of like not knowing the answer to something. I immediately felt unprepared and I felt amateurish and like all this stuff. But I've come to learn that when you reply with, I'm not sure, but let's go figure it out. Like, but then you actually have to follow through and help them figure it out or at least Mm -hmm. get them to the next logical step to get them closer to it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but when it comes to set, first off, what ranks first is safety. Time is second to that. And um, also, too, I, I think that... Uh, I think department heads are, you know, like if, if they are working under a department head and it's something I know they should be talking to their DH about, like, yeah, you can go to them and they'll help you. Or you know like whatever may be but yeah when it comes down to to the the ranking of things it is um it's like humans and safety and then it's schedule and time and uh i mean i would love any producer to to challenge me on that order so you know um but yeah yeah 
Yeah, that makes sense. Um, there's just so much on you as a first AD. Like it's, I mean, I know that there's there's firsts and then there's seconds and then in the states there's second seconds mm-hmm. and in the rest of the world there's thirds. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but so the work can, and of course the cohort of PAs yeah, um, PA of learning. varying flavors. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there, it is it is a whole team that's working mm-hmm. together, but it's just unfathomable or unfathomable to me every time I consider that role because there's just so much yeah. that is reliant upon it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like literally the, the whole day mm-hmm. is just reliant on the first AD kind of like running, running the show, so to speak. So considering all of these people that, you are in charge of as a first AD and how um, you're trying to manage all of these people and operate all these different things um, and just keep all of these, like all of these departments just like churning at the same time for, for a common goal. Um, do you find that the strength of your individual relationships with these people has any um is determined by their consistency like with in their um like with how somebody with what somebody says that they're going to do their intention versus what they say versus what they actually do right i really come to and this is just personally over the years as the as a one ad and now as a director and and uh making crews like picking people for crews uh after a while you come to learn that uh their actions really do speak for them uh when it comes down to it like the i really don't i don't put much as much into their words as as i do their actions and i mean there's a lot of things it's it's um when are they getting the set how how early are they getting to set are they early are they late are they like stuff and you know there are one-off days i totally get it like you, people are going to be late but things like that like if you're always the last person to show up to set and but you have a nice coffee in hand or you know like i have personally experienced some like unsafe gripping and it's like when you see that happen which is twice, it's kind of like you kind of have to start allocating it all comes down to my allocation of time and energy and like in a perfect world all of that is geared towards my director <clears throat> but every time i'm uncomfortable with something or i don't trust somebody or what have you that means that's just a little bit more time and energy I have to take away from my director, from our director to make sure, but like, that's the whole game. Right. And so when you, after, you know, and the thing is too, what's awesome being a one AD is there are oftentimes when, when I enter a project and there are still uh, empty spots on the crew, a lot of times 
productions will ask me for my opinion on who we should hire. Mm -hmm. And that's like always one of my favorite things because mm -hmm. I get to pick people who I trust and, and who have consistently proven to me with their actions that they can deliver and deliver in a fashion that I did, that I desire and that I need. And so, yeah, it, it, uh, that's the thing is like with this industry, you'll, you, you, you can see some really old friends unexpectedly on a set, but then you you'll also be on the same set with the 19 year old kid who's it's their second time on set. And you've got, it's just like a huge mixture of, of people who, um, it's my job to, 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 to do my part to, uh, to go try to, to, to know these people as best I can. One of the toughest things for me personally being a younger one AD, uh, especially when I first started, but even though, you know, it's still happening now, it's like, you know, there are often times when I'm, I'm having to ask people who are, you know, 20, 25 years older than me to do things and to do them in a fashion in which I need them to do them. And, and that's intimidating. That's really, it's really difficult for me to look at like a 55 year old costume designer. And it's like, yo, I know <laughs> I'm just a young, like idiot kid here, but blah, blah, blah. And, and so, um, but it, it always is easier when you, it's human to human. You, you, you start human to human and then become one AD and blank, like as mm -hmm. the project goes along. The additional titles. Yeah. yeah you kind of add those yeah. instead of become that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really interesting and completely true. Um, how do you maintain that level of respect or how do you hold on to that level of respect that you need uh, when you are essentially like in charge yeah. of these people who age-wise are well beyond you it, and how and also sorry how do you know good. that you're respected by them it all starts with your own self-confidence you can smell it dude you can smell when someone is truly insecure especially when they're like you know, like when I'm running a safety meeting and I have like 65 pairs of eyeballs looking at me and it, it, that's scary. And, um, and so the thing is, I really need to trust in myself that I know what I'm doing. Um, and a, a big thing that I, that I have really, uh, <laughs> had to do my whole career and I continue to do is like reminding myself that like I did not accidentally end up here. I did not get accidentally hired to be the one AD. No people desired for me to be here and I am intentionally and purposefully here just like you. And so you have a job to do and I have a job to do. And so it comes down to that is like, is, There, there's a lot of things. One ads are known to be like, like big scary people who yell a lot and are blah blah blah, right? Like, first off, like, I think good one ads don't yell. Uh, good one ads do not rip someone a new one in front of everybody. You, you do it privately. Um, 
And like, it, it boils down to, it's not even filmmaking anymore when it comes down to the respect thing. It's definitely human. And especially now too, that like we've been wearing masks for so long that like I think we've all become much better at reading eyes and reading like scrunches in our phone like and you know all that stuff mm -hmm. like you can tell by someone's face uh whether or not you're respected in my opinion mm -hmm. and so like um like for example is one thing I won a deed a few months ago like we were outside and uh someone lit up a cigarette like a crew member lit up a cigarette like uh less than 10 feet from where we're filming and so like and also as a 180 you have to pick your battles you really do and so after we cut i'm like hey, hey dude like can you just back up a little bit man looks at me in the eyeballs takes one tiny step back and keeps smoking Ugh, and so it's so like gross yeah and so it's like why you choose to like i don't get like why you're being like that but it's like okay and at that point at that point one one ad comes out if you get what i'm saying yeah oh i get it yeah and it's like <laughs> i asked you as a courtesy as a human like hey bro like we have talent here like there's people there's a camp like dude like please back up and yeah so that's i always try to be jeremy mm -hmm. first but then I will remind you that I'm 180 if I need to. Right, and, right. Um, if you make that come out of me. Exactly. If you make that roll. Exactly. Because that is what, yeah, a lot of people tend to first respect the role exactly. or the title exactly. rather than the person. Exactly. The but yeah. I am so, and I say this in the least narcissistic way possible, I am a damn good 180. And I totally am confident in my ability and i think that i am very realistic with what i know i'm weak at and so like the thing is i can't say the same thing about jeremy the human i can't because it's i'm not it's you know it's the truthfully i'm, I'm not as confident in jeremy the human and so i know what i can do as a filmmaker I often still don't know what I can do as a human. And so like, to be honest, it's also my equal opportunity to like, cause I mean, no one, you're like the first person I've ever verbalized that like, that's my train of thought. Like no one even knows that. Right. And so like, but it works. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, why would you ever want to make someone's life more difficult intentionally? You know what I'm saying? I have like, no idea. <laughs> I, you've stumped me. That yeah. is a riddle that I will not ever be able to solve the answer to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's really a compelling thought that, um, yeah, people just sort of, I don't know, it's not na natural for people to just respect people out of, respect as a person it just needs to come from some sort of like hierarchy right which to me feels kind of gross and unnatural but yeah. i guess it's i guess there's some sort of like a natural element to it that makes it seem more official or more um commandeering or something like that yeah but so outside of work then if a friend or somebody who you believe is a friend or you think is a friend 
um, if they consistently show that they don't respect you, are they really a friend? That's a really good, tough question. Um, I've actually like, so I know like when I, when we caught back up earlier this year and I told you that like, I, uh, I've actually had several failed friendships and relationships, uh, due to filmmaking, you know, and, um, I'm very embarrassed by how I used to be an act uh, for a while there. And yeah, you, you come to find out that like, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that filmmaking and I'm not like, that's why that's why I started like I had to make a very drastic push to do something because I could not afford to just keep like losing friends and colleagues and shit just because like I was pissed off right and so um you there are there I'm a true believer that certain people were very much meant to be in your life for certain chapters and that's like a it's a kind of a that's not the most positive way of like looking at things but i think it's a very realistic thing and um you know i i often look back at some of the friendships and work working relationships that didn't work out and it's very easy to just beat yourself up about and just feel terrible about your contributions to the failed X, Y, or Z, right? But like, as I'm trying to like love myself more and forgive myself more and, and, and all of these things that are very difficult to do, um, I'm trying to kind of really think about all, some of those relationships and like really ex trying to extract all of the good stuff from it and and really try to apply what I need to apply to myself to better ensure that like that doesn't happen like in the future and like so I guess as a it's not the best answer in the world but I think to semi answer your question I think that they that that they were friends to be honest because uh, I, I I think that when one or both parties is ultimately trying to gain and that's the thing too about like working with friends in our industry you know they say not to do it and then you say it won't happen to us and then you do it and then it happens and there's a sense of embarrassment to it and a sense of of uh, yeah sorry I'm just like thinking of like all of these 
moments uh, that are applicable to this. And it's like, it's really hard to, you know, like people used to spend so much time with and like people that like, you know, you verbalized about these, like, yo, we're going to fucking take over the world, you know? And like, uh, and it doesn't happen. And I think that I never realized that you could grieve like the end of relationships, you know? Like you think of grieving really with only like one thing and it's like a physical death, right? But it's like, I never really thought to like think about and process because like when bad things like that happen, you really just want to cut it off and like kind of move on. But, um, but yeah, I think that, uh, everyone should be, if you're going to be working with a friend, especially in a partnership deal, like I'm not really talking about like contracting and stuff, but even then, so especially then too. But, um, I think it all boils down to honest communication, mm-hmm. like very legitimately honest communication. Because I mean, like, if that is a person that you cannot be honestly like real with, like who the heck is it going to be at that point? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that yes, they were friends up to a point until ulterior motives kind of start going into play. So I don't know. Yeah. Beginnings and endings of, friendships and no matter the the depth have always been really tough yeah for me because i i guess enter all of my friendships or interactions with people uh as with the intention of wanting to hold on to that person like without end mm-hmm. uh i just want to welcome them in and have them share whatever appropriate piece of my life is, Mm -hmm. you know, makes sense. And I want to share wherever I fit in, in theirs. Um, So yeah, I completely, I've had to learn that too, that, you know, unfortunately you do have to let people go Mm -hmm. as they're ready to go. Yeah. Uh, and if you try and cling on to them or force them when they're ready to to move on, mm. then you kind of just have to let them do that. Yeah. And it's hard. It's sad because, you know, you a lot of the times these i mean you've like done a whole thing with them if you're working with them on a, a project like this mm-hmm. um like you've, you've gone and made a whole movie yeah, <laughs> you've exactly. gone and made a whole thing um but or you've uh if they're a travel buddy then you've gone and, and traveled the world with them or you've um graduated with them or you know just all these accomplishments and all these things that they'll be defined by right you know in your memories and they're in your core memories now and so it's it's sad to leave them but it's it's a bittersweet thing because 
that makes space for for new people to to come in and for yourself to kind of go on new uh adventures and things yeah uh, so it's it's an important step of growth i think and shows that you're able i think it it's indicative of independence too yeah, yeah. and and like love's got a big part to do with that you know like like love towards yourself that involves exactly what you just said and then love towards that other person of like it's maybe it's best that we're not maybe it's best that yeah we go separately right. and um because not, no matter how much you love a person or respect a person or believe in a person uh, yeah like they're still a human you're still a human and like uh i think sometimes you have to go figure some stuff out individually or if not individually just without that per different people have different holds on your life and they have different influences on you and what you do and what you say and and the decisions you make and whether they're subconscious or whether they're very intentional it still happens and you hate to say it but sometimes you just need the complete omission of that for you to go do what you need to do Mm -hmm. and that is a really tough thing to to realize and to digest i think because it sucks yeah like you don't want anyone you don't want anyone to go you want everyone to to stay and be this one big happy family but there are there are just too many factors to ensure that that will never happen Mm -hmm. and in lieu like when you realize that that fantasy is never going to happen i think that that is what should fuel your your wantingness and your desire to to be the best uh friend to be the best whatever son daughter father mother like whatever you can be filmmaker or whatever um because like i think we forget like you know how we can it's like very easy for us to like point to certain people at certain times and it's like man like I was so moved or so influenced by this tiny little thing that this person said to me. Like, I can think of many of those things. But then you have to remember, too, that there are other people who have those types of memories about you. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, dude, like, you can't hurt anyone by uplifting them or bragging about them or, or loving on them. And so, yeah, I am... As I try to be better at receiving love, it's a hard thing for me to to do. Like when you are, when at times you feel like you're not worthy of being loved or of someone's attention, you know? And so, you know, it, you know how sucks it can feel to, to feel these things. And so you should try to combat it by the way you treat people and the way you talk to them and the way you support them because it it's positive for you simultaneously why do you think that people are afraid to or reluctant to express love openly 
of any degree. I think when you love someone in in the part of the timeline when it's like it's not really a big factor yet on whether or not they love you back kind of kind of thing it's just kind of like yo like i really whether it's platonic or romantic or whatever it's like this person is very special i enjoy spending time with them i i hope they enjoy spending time with me and when as your love for them grows you have these ideas of like where it's gonna go whether like it's like a production company together or whether it's you get married with like the the house and the kids or you like have this uh travel buddy or whatever it's um you have grand ideas and you have these like these great what ifs these very fun what ifs you know and i think that when you communicate honestly meaning that you are not putting a filter on what you're saying and that you know you are really getting your true emotions out there that's when the fantasy kind of stops and that's when you have to like you are about to hear the human like you know the other side of this thing from a human and whereas most of the time you've kind of been dealing with it internally and kind of just like oh of course like this is going to happen but when you communicate openly and honestly you are there is a type of vulnerability there that i don't think exists anywhere else you know and so the i think that the possibility of the ending of this perfect ideal that you have that can prevent people from really sharing what they need what they want what their intentions are and what their expectations are and so when everyone involved is doing the exact same thing it's like what are we actually aiming for here like what is actually going on like in real time what is this and so whether it's business related or romantic or what have you and so i think as a result of that, people try to seek answers or accomplish things all on their own. And that's when like a lot of stuff like resentment can come in and a lot of stuff like jealousy can come in and a lot of stuff like unhappiness from having to pick up other people's parts of the, of, of the equation. And, and so, yeah, I, th- it, because the thing is, even with the people you've known the longest and the best, your family or friends you've known for forever, that's still incredibly difficult to share um, legitimately personal things with them. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, when you have a relationship outside of business and when you are considering going that route, um, I think without that open communication, like you may as well, like just it, I mean, think about how often those situations like really succeed. They don't really. And so, yeah, it's fear. It's fear that what you are hoping for is actually just an illusion. Mm. Mm. And do you think that that fear 
can prevent one from creating and sustaining these meaningful connections? Unfortunately, yeah. And when we will get that first bad taste of something and it's natural, I mean, like <laughs> kind of an unrelated example, but it's like, you know, you've heard that friend or like, yeah, I got I got food poisoning from that one place that one single time. Mm-hmm. Never, ever, 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 ever going back. Yeah. Kind of thing. That mentality is very easy to to also have when it comes to experiences, people with people. That's a big thing too. And um, and so yeah, I I uh, I forget what you asked, kind of. No, you answered it. Um, I had a I had a little vendetta against Arby's actually because there was yeah. one of those stories where the I don't it was some gross thing where the one worker's like finger got cut off or something yeah and a in the chili found it. yeah in the chili that was Wendy's I think yeah it was Wendy's in the- that was Wendy's there was another one with Arby's okay. um but actually now I've kind of grown to I don't know I don't eat out a crazy ton but like I don't know I like their breads and their yeah. meats. <laughs> yeah. And their seasoned curly fries are fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, on paper, I think I like Arby's <laughs> the best. <laughs> That's a good cho- choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's friendship and companionship and all these intimate relationships are hard to navigate because they are intrapersonal and interpersonal um there i think a lot of it is what is going on in you and also how you express or project what is going on inside of you to everybody around you the people that are trying to be in your circle so it's a really confusing like just thing to kind of navigate um on any level in any circumstance because you're right it all it all changes um so fast and and with any uh and with every circumstance so it's i guess that's another reason why for me it's so sad when uh i do grieve when when friends are when friendships either fizzle out or there's a definite ending to them um because that's never it's never what I want and it's never my intention. Right. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think that sometimes it just needs to, to happen so that the, so that each person can grow respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, part of that is the fears being addressed. Um, which that's another thing too. I think sometimes you have to, or it's appropriate to welcome someone into your life that does scare you a little bit for whatever reason, um, so that you can learn those lessons. Um, and so you can continue to work on yourself and you can address those fears in yourself. Um, but it's tough. It's tough and there's not a, uh, I mean, there's plenty of like self-help books and there's plenty of um, like uh, websites and YouTube channels and things like that where people are trying to help you navigate these things, but you can't really do it unless you, you can't really figure it out um, except for the two of you together, which I think is completely right with your 
uh, with your need for open communication. Mm-hmm. Um, how often do you contact your closest friends or your companions? Like, do you find that there's a, do you find that you have a sense of like a secure attachment, I guess, to them uh, in that you can, you know, just leave them alone and know that you still love them? Or is it, uh, do you need to contact them frequently? Or how do you go about navigating the frequency and the security aspects of your friendships and companionships? A lot of the friends from when I was younger, we are very much like that, but we're We'll see each other maybe once or twice a year. We'll text maybe three, four, or five times a year. We'll talk on the phone once or twice a year. And some those are some of my best friends in the world, you know. And so, um, but it, especially after pandemic or during, pan, you know, when it became quote unquote safe enough again, mm-hmm. when you were, I, it's kind of like when you were kind of, when you you and that other person were both kind of, uh, semi-consciously kind of, uh, you know, just trying to find the rhythm of your friendship in terms of how often you talk and hang out and what have you. I think similarly to how a lot of other stuff was affected when the pandemic then told us that we could not do these things. It's you, uh, I don't know. I, I, I am doing more of an effort with all friends, to be honest, to, for more interaction and more, um, yeah, more hangouts and more, more communication. Um, I, you know, I, there's really only one friend or two friends that I text with like multiple times a day, every day. Uh, but to be honest, not every, that's been a more recent chapter of my life, Mm -hmm. uh, over the past maybe two or three years. Like I, uh, before that I've never really, um yeah i i like <laughs> i like being by myself most of the time and so i uh i'm totally cool with and actually desire uh breathability mm-hmm. and, and space for mm-hmm. sure yeah mm-hmm. yeah for sure uh no more no energy drains <laughs> exactly <laughs> or at least uh not not uh an exorbitant amount so an excessive amount so um does your love for your friends or acquaintances or whoever the people that you make do you does it start at one level and stay consistent over time or does it wane or does it is it something that's buildable i guess my immediate answer to that is like because i think especially to verbalize it it sounds weird or whatever but like i think that when you meet a human who is a potential friend who is a friend right Mm. because they're a human there's like a baseline level of respect and level of um, desirability and a level of attention Mm -hmm. that they deserve as a human and then as as interactions as interactions happen and and uh, events happen and, and work happens, I, th- I I wouldn't say that it wanes. I don't I because I think that there's a bit 
it is a baseline, then I, you know, we're not going to go beneath it. So it's impossible to wane, I think, from there. But it can definitely build depending on um, also that person's mutual desire to, to build that uh, individual relationship with you. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I, 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 uh, I mean, it takes a lot. It, it takes a lot for me to to really not want to interact with someone you know what I'm saying right. and um but I've it's taken me a long time to learn that like that's totally okay like you don't have to like everybody mm-hmm. to be nice to mm-hmm. but like you do have to like protect yourself at the end of the day and, and your heart and stuff and so right. yeah right mm-hmm. yeah making sure that you're you are cared for in yourself before relying on that care from outside sources, right. I think. Yeah. Right. I love what you that you mentioned attention because I've uh I've come to realize that attention is the one of, if not the easiest thing that you can give somebody. Mm-hmm. It's one of the simplest things. Yeah. All you have to do is look at them and listen to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, hear them what they have to say but it's also at least for me and I would argue based on what you're saying probably for you too um, is that it's probably one of the most valuable things that you can do for somebody just Mm. being present with them and listening to them and you know making them know that they are known right and seen right um what does it take to maintain uh, an everlasting friendship? I think, like, for me, when I think of friends, like, just the idea of friends, I think of, like, smiling and laughter, right? And uh, unconditional acceptance, Um and I mean, even then, like I thought of like three or four very specific faces, you know, and so I think the most memorable and the most special ones are what everything you just said about attention and 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 um, the desire to listen to someone and and all of these things like it's kind of like. It, it takes a long time to achieve those things. And, you know, like we were just a bunch of kids in the country. Like we were, and we were just, we were the weird ones. Like we were the filmmakers and the musicians and, and the artists. And like, you know, we were just the bohemian crowd stuck in this little country, Georgia town. And I mean, we loved each other. A lot and uh, so I really learned unconditional love from my friends when we were like 13 years old you know and now like I'm 33 and like they have kid wives and children and like mortgages and stuff and it's like when you see someone you genuinely love succeeding I think is one of the best feelings like that you can have as a human. And so 
like it's just so strange how the ones that you don't see from that often or have the ability to talk to that often are some of the people that like you love and you know for a fact love you the most um and so yeah i i think unconditionality is my simple answer to that are you going to love me the way i love you no matter what at the end of the day i think is it i think so too i think that's too well jeremy if somebody wants to be your friend how and where can they find you on the internet or on where where can they find you I I would um I would love to if you're listening to this I'd love to connect with you um you can follow me on Instagram at Jeremy Tao uh, J E R E M Y T H A O all one word and I'm honestly trying to uh grow my Twitter presence I'll be honest and so oh okay would, throw that out um, yeah so on Twitter someone had already taken that other handle so it's at Jeremy underscore Tao on twitter gotta add the underscores in i know yeah i know i was really annoyed when the other <laughs> one was taken um but yeah we are we are um in pre-production for this new exciting movie called walkman that uh we're we're hard at work at and uh i would love for y'all to come see us prepare for that very scary and long journey so yeah yeah please join it's going to be a really special project and it's going to be made by a lot of a lot of really special people so it'll be great um jeremy thank you so much for for chatting with me today and i can't wait to be a a better companion to you thanks for having me sarah thank you I hope you enjoyed that special conversation between my companion Jeremy Tao and I. If you would like to read more about Jeremy and watch the Eleven Alive news story that he was in, or perhaps check out the documentary short that he and I collaborated on earlier this year, you can head over to the accompanying Substack article for this podcast and all the links will be there once you're there you can also follow the let me play project on instagram facebook substack and twitter and while you're at it you should go make a friend or check up on a friend that you maybe have lost touch with speaking of friends we'll be back next week with a new friend and of course a new word But until then, thanks for playing.